All righty. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Glad to be here. Aren't you? Aren't you? Wow, the worship was wonderful, wasn't it? And we had an unusual thing to happen, like the Friday night worship. Uh, I came in, and when I got here, uh, Sarah Bollinger and Matthew Bollinger were here. I said, what are y'all doing here? Well, they didn't really tell me why, but Matthew said Sarah made him come. So, And then after the worship started, uh, Andy Squires come walking up here. And Amy, and it was like, you know, of course, Matthew, if you don't know, he was a youth pastor, then became the associate pastor here forever, and then he winds up going up the Chapel Hill to start that church up there, which is doing really amazing, and <clears throat> and then Andy was the worship leader here for like 13 years, so it was kind of a, you know, homecoming reunion time, and it was really special. I feel like... You know, the Lord was speaking about some things, uh, about a newness that he wants to bring. And I just thought it was uh, interesting that the, like the old guard, so to speak, Marlon and Mary, I mean, these were like the people who really carried the, the you know, they were the ones who carried the presence of the Lord for years and years and years in this church when the Lord was really moving powerfully and Marlon, yeah, angel. Marlon was one of the few that stayed after we ran Matthew and uh, Andy off. Of course, Andy's uh, now, an, he's an associate pastor now in Charlotte at Queen City Church. He led worship down there for a few years. Now he's the associate pastor. So they're doing amazing. And so it was such a blessing. But, I, you know, I just feel like God really wants to do a new thing. I really do. And I don't know what that means, but it means it's good, doesn't it? So if you feel like you need that spirit of newness, um, I read a scripture Friday night, which was really meaningful to me, is Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. Amen. Everybody say all. 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 And that's at the end of everything. He was going to make it all new. But today, we can have some newness in our life. We really can. Right this second, we can have experience. And there's actually some things that said that was said in the book of Revelation about new is he gives us a new name, which is a new identity. Amen. He gives us a new song. And that's really important right now, a new song. And I think that can definitely mean congregational worship songs. But it also can be a song in your heart. You know, that where you, where the Bible says singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. I think God wants to do that with people again, where your inside becomes a place of rejoicing instead of a place of worry and anxiety and fretfulness. That's in heaviness. Okay, so that's such an important thing and that the Lord wants to do for people. Um, and he does want to release this, this spirit of newness to people. Uh, and whatever, and there's other areas since Jesus says, I mean, God said, the Father said, I make all things new, then we can, like, where's an area of your life you need some newness? I think you can pick it out. You need a new anointing on your life? You could say, Lord, I need a new anointing. I, I need a new uh, avenue of finances. I need new friends. I need a new vision. I need new dreams. See, this is how God works. He doesn't live on a grave site, right? He doesn't live out of what was. He doesn't fret over yesterday. 
He doesn't fret over anything. And he really wants his people to come alive in him and begin to see what he sees and feel what he feels. He really does. And that's what that's, uh, uh, you know, it says, and I think Isaiah 40 is that, where behold, I do a new thing. Don't think of the former things. He talks about making streams in the desert. Is that right? Isaiah 40 something? It's a very powerful scripture. So I believe the Lord's going to do some new things for us. I believe we're going to have a new move of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm looking for. A new active move of the Spirit. An active, one that continues, not, you know, start and stop. And whatever that may look like, I'm in. Are you in? Whatever it may look like. You better be careful telling the Lord that because he'll throw you into something that will insult, insult you to no end. You have to, you know, you can, I mean, gosh, it seems like when God does something, it can be so like, ah, oh, why did you have to do it this way? It seems so ridiculous. But then it turns out it's the greatest thing ever because there's so much fruit that comes out of it. Okay? I'll tell you this, and I'm going to give you this message. There's two kinds of messes in the world, okay? Really, there's two kinds of messes. There's the mess we make, and there's the mess that God makes. Because God is messy. He doesn't care about a lot of things we care about. But His messes always create fruit. His messes always makes things better. Our messes, we just had to clean them up, right? There's a scripture for that, by the way. It says uh, where the... Yeah, where there is no oxen, the stall is clean. But with the oxen is much increase. Y'all know what that means, don't you? Somebody's shoveling doo-doo. Right? That's the way the Lord is. You have to kind of go behind him and shovel up the mess. Manure. Because people do get... Don't reject the Lord because your new theology doesn't make room for God to move. (laughs) That's ridiculous, isn't it? Let me read this. Okay, here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to, everything I'm going to share to you for the first few minutes, I've already shared uh, with you already. But I'm doing it for a purpose. And if no other purpose, I'm doing it myself because I'm very touched by the Lord through all this I want to share, say to you. And I feel like it's something God wants me to carry in my heart and on a deeper level. Um you know, going forward because this is, to me, is what's really important. And it's, I'm going to read Revelation. Did you know that I'm reading this book? I can't escape it. It's the unescapable book. You know where it says there, you know, you'll be blessed if you read the book? I found that to be the absolute truth beyond measure over the past few months. I've really just spent a lot of time reading it. You know, one thing that'll help you do it is read it out loud. If you read it out loud, you're going to be shocked. It, I don't know. God has different blessings for different people. But you, if you'll do that, that's what, that's what it says. It says it two times in there. It says it two times. So, I mean, it's like they want, God's wanting to get our attention when he starts out saying it, and then he's ending up saying it. Um, but it's the first verse I want to say. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, which things must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, servant John. So one of the keys to understanding the book of Revelation, or I think the key, is 
this revelation of the person of Christ. That's why the first chapter is all about the person of Christ. And so, but the truth is, is we will never really understand the New Testament or the whole Bible apart from understanding the person of Christ. Christ becomes central. That's what the book of Revelation teaches, more than, I think, more than anything. Even though there's many chapters about future events, but the main thing of the whole thing, if you really boil it down, is, the, is who he is and that he is the central figure in all of creation. And apart from us having a revelation of that person of Christ, we will never understand the Bible. We will never understand our life adequately. Everything is centered on this person. That's a beautiful thing. So there's this revelation given in, 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 the, in the book of Revelation of Christ himself, which is different than the revelation that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John gave. The, the revelation that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke and John gave more, gave more of a revelation of, of what we would call, and I think this is an accurate way of viewing that, the humiliated Christ. When I first began to think about that, I thought, no, 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 the humble Christ. But really, no, he became humiliated. He was humiliated by human beings on purpose. He allowed that because we suffer humiliation. And he entered into everything that we enter into. So that's what the Gospels really bring about. That's one of the great pictures of Christ's Gospels. The big picture of him as being a humiliated God who came to earth. But the book of Revelation shows him as a completely different, different person. It shows us as the glorified Christ. The King of kings, the Lord of glory. And see, that's the revelation that we are going to need as we move forward into the future. It doesn't mean we don't embrace that humiliated Christ because there's pieces of that in this book that it keeps bringing out. It brings out the blood. It talks about the lamb, the lamb of God. This is an interesting thing. The lamb of God is only mentioned one other place in the Bible. It's mentioned several places in the book of Revelation. Several places. So it's an important revelation. But it's not the full revelation of Christ. That's why this book's so important. Are y'all following me? So I wanted to go back again to everything I've said here. And I think, well, I think the first five chapters of the book are so key. I mean, I think they're amazingly key chapters. Most people, and I don't blame them for, are not infatuated with the first five chapters. They're infatuated with chapters 6 through 19, which talks about the end times. And we need people to be infatuated with that. But we also need people like me who are infatuated with something else. You know, because that's just the way it is. Right? So in the first chapter, um, and I've told, like I said, I've told you all this before. So if you're bored with it, you can nap through this. But you'd be making a big mistake. There are 24 distinct distinct descriptions of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 1. 24. There are 24 distinct descriptions of Jesus Christ that I had never pondered in my entire life till I began to see this. I'd never thought about any of those. Not really. I've read them for years. I've been reading it ever since I'm a believer, but I never took the time to think about that Christ that view of Christ that I never had thought about, that view of Christ that I didn't know. 
And suddenly I feel like the Holy Spirit is, you need to get to know him like that. You need to get to know this Christ, not just the Christ of the Gospels. Uh, in chapter 2 and 3, there's 18 descriptions. Now, so that's a total of 42, chapter 1 through 3. Twelve of them are repeats. Okay, so there are 30, in, cha- in three chapters, there are 30 unique descriptions of Jesus Christ in three chapters of the book of Revelation. Thirty. That's amazing. It's incredible. There are 90 unique, or 90 unique descriptions of Jesus in the book of Revelation. Ninety. I think there's 250 in the whole Bible. We don't even have a chance on, in this life to absorb all that. We'll be absorbing all that all in the future. But to me, that's, that speaks of something. I think I, I did share this, but I just wanted to share it again because I just love it. Here's some ones I love so much. Uh, he's the lion and the lamb in, in Revelation chapter 5. He's a rider on a great white horse in Revelation 19. Isn't that beautiful? He, listen, he's clothed with a robe dipped in blood in Revelation. That man, that's so powerful. When, those, when you begin to think about that and, and begin to see him like that and just ponder on that, it'll change your worship life. It'll change your worship life. It'll change it from being born to something that's dynamic and real in you because suddenly you're seeing this person in a different way. You know, and anyways... He's a bridegroom coming for his bride in Revelation 21. He's the bride and morning star in Revelation 22. Aren't those all beautiful? Those are just a few beautiful descriptions. I'm going to read a couple more, but I wanted to shift over there to chapter 2 and 3. So, and this was profound to me. Again, I've read it a million times, possibly not a million, but a few, you know, a million minus, not plus or minus. A hundred plus for sure. Maybe, maybe way more than a hundred, I think. But in each of these uh, chapters, two or three, there were seven churches. In each one of them, Jesus, re- he introduced himself to each church uniquely. He never repeated each introduction. And it was to, in the way he revealed himself was what was the answer for that church. It was your answer. If you'll know me like this, it will solve your problems. It will fix your situation. It will get you out of where you're at if you'll just recognize me as I come to you. If you'll just recognize and bow when I come this way instead of that way. And see, that's something we have to get as the people of God. That God does not always come to us the same way over and over and over. He's infinitely creative and he wants to reveal himself in infinite ways. And when he comes, we must have that humility heart. We were talking about this week. That's, that's the key right now for us is humility. It takes humility to really bow to the Lord in the way he comes. And bow, Because I like the Lord to come a certain way. I don't know about you. You know, there's certain ways I like God to manifest himself in my life. But many times he doesn't. And over my life, I've been so disappointed in the Lord when I felt like he didn't come through for me and when I felt like he didn't answer my prayers. But the truth is, looking back, I see he did come. And I see what he did was much better than what I was thinking. But I couldn't receive it then because I was, one, immature, and two, I was arrogant. I thought I knew something that I really didn't know. I thought I knew him, but I really didn't know him. I only knew a little bit about him. 
Are y'all with me? So um, that was really one of the great revelations of my life. I want to just emphasize this. And I can remember, this was like probably late 80s. I was in Wilmington, North Carolina, working. And the Lord spoke to me down there. And he spoke to me about how in the scriptures, he showed up in different times in different places and people didn't recognize him. That's, that's how I started getting on this. The problem was I never saw this in Revelation. I saw that, you know, I, I've told you all this, but this is profound if we can get it. Joshua, in Ch- Joshua chapter 5 spent weeks soaking in the presence of the Lord and the t- when, when the Lord would come down with Moses. Yet when he came into the promised land and Jesus shows up as the Lord of the captain of armies, Joshua had no clue who he was. Had no clue who he was. And see, the way the Lord came to Joshua was as a warrior because Joshua was fixing to enter into warfare. The time of soaking and all that was over. It's time for war, Joshua. This is how you need to know me. This is how you need to get a hold of me now. Are y'all following? And the other one that was really powerful to me was Mary in the garden. We all love that one. That's the like the Mary think supposing him to be the gardener. I think it's John 20, supposing him to be the gardener. And begin to talk to him. Where have you laid the Lord at? And there the Lord was standing right in front of her. And he had to speak. And when he spoke, she realized that was Jesus. And suddenly her eyes were open. And then for me, the best one was Luke 24. The story of the two men, or man and woman, I think actually is what it is. Uh, on the road to Emmaus. Where Jesus was talking to them and they didn't recognize him. And then, you know, of course, you know, he walked along and it says he shared uh, the scripture about the Christ. I just love what he said. What, what's wrong with y'all? What are y'all so bummed out about? And the whole thing, they were bummed because the Savior, the Lord, didn't turn out to be the way they thought he should be. Are y'all hearing this? If you get a hold of this, this can really change you. This can grip your heart. It's gripping to me. It's gripping to me because I realize anytime God can show up in any way through a person or through a situation and I'll completely miss him if I don't continue humbling myself to him and continually recognize my need of him and my need to not to have my attitudes and not to have my doctrine all lined out, my theology all lined out and letting my doubts rule me and all the things that happen. Just not allowing that to have precedence in my life but having a humble, teachable heart. And so when God comes to me, I can recognize him. But I love what those two, those two people, that man and woman, I'm going to call them a man and woman because it's pretty certain there was a man and a woman based on their names, uh, is they said, you know, when Jesus, you know, sat down to eat with them, broke the bread. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And it says their eyes were open and they saw him and he disappeared. And then they said, didn't our hearts just burn within us? See, sometimes we don't recognize what's happening to us. But if we become more clear, there's a burning that can come into us when the Lord comes into us in a new way. Well, I just said all that because that for years that was my, my whole theology about, about the Lord appearing in different ways was based on those three things until I began to see this, how he came to these different churches. And like I said, I've read it so many times, but I was just stunned when I saw it. I was absolutely stunned, like, oh my gosh, all these years of my Christian life, 40-something years, 
I've been reading this and I've never seen that. Not really. I'm not, I may have seen it in my little brain, but my heart never saw the Lord like that before. And see, we're, there's revelation that God has for people. There's things that are going to stun us and shock us. But, but the thing is, it's the, let me just say this about revelation. I love revelation. I'm a revelation guy. I pray the, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I'll tell you the truth. I pray it two times a day. It's the first thing I pray when I wake up every morning. And it's the last thing I pray. Lord, I just ask you for more of the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know Jesus Christ better. I pray my eyes of my understanding be more enlightened, Lord. And I would know more of the hope of your calling and more of the riches of the glory of your inheritance and more of the ex your exceeding greatness of your power towards those who every... Because I think that's the life changer. I think that's a life change in prayer. For me, it has been. But I'll tell you the truth about revelation, get, receiving revelation. It's not the experience of receiving revelation that counts the most. As beautiful as that is and as wonderful as that is, I love that. I love that moment when I feel like God suddenly, I see something I've never seen. But it's what it does to you. That's the tale of the tape. Is, are there going to be fruit that remains in your life? From Is it going to grip your heart? Is it going to cause you to fall on your knees before the Lord and say to the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm sorry about. Sometimes I have literally, Lord, I, don't, I just feel so, I'm so sorry, Lord. And I couldn't even tell you what I was sorry about. But it was just this heart of brokenness before the Lord that something from heaven touched me and was revealed to me in a moment. And it just gripped me. And this stuff has gripped me. I can't explain it to you. But I'm not going to make any excuses to you about it. I believe this is an important word out of these verses and these chapters for us today. I believe it's, it's critical for us to get this. Because I would just assume, I, you know, because Becky was saying, you need to get out of this. It's messing you up too bad. Because it has stretched me beyond. I mean, it's just stretched me to death. That's why I felt like I feel too stretched by this, Lord. You know, you've heard of the vulnerability hangover. Have y'all y'all know about vulnerability hangovers? Well, if you ever share stuff out of your heart with somebody and you walk away and feel like a fool, y'all know that, right? Most people, well, I go home many times after I've shared that. Well, not this, this but many times and want to bury myself. That's the way I feel. Just had to be really careful with myself. Like, you know, go work out or do something. Don't let your brain work. Anyways, let me read this. This this is one that stuck out to me. It's where the Lord introduced himself to the church of Thyatira. And I'll tell you, they were in trouble as a church. They were in desperate trouble. They were into some stuff that they should have never been into. You know, they were listening to things. They were allowing false doctrines. They were allowing things to go on. And this is how he introduced himself. It says, to the angel, this is Revelations 2.18, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Well, that uh, flame of fire and feet like brass were, were repeats, but this verse here is the only verse, and listen, this should get your attention, the only verse in the New Testament where Jesus said, I'm the Son of God. He never claimed that in the Gospels. 
He never said, I'm, he said, I'm the son of man. That's really what he said to most people. When people, you know, he'd deliver somebody from a demon, you're the son of God, or some demons, he'd just say, shut up. He didn't, he didn't. But here he was saying, I am the son of God. He was declaring something there that was very powerful to this church, basically saying, I'm God, and I'm showing up. And I don't like what's going on here. I see what's going on here. And I'm not going to put up with it. If you don't change, some bad stuff are going to happen. If he ever comes to you and says, I'm the son of God, you might want to run. Because he might be coming like, I ain't happy with what you're doing, what you're teaching, what you're saying, how you're acting. I'm not happy about that. And I think it's just powerful that Jesus said that here. Now, we know all through the Gospels, he was preached as the Son of God by his believers and followers. They knew who he was, but he was never claiming it. He was never speaking it. It's powerful, isn't it? I think it is. Uh, and then in Revelation 3, 7, it says, and this is really amazing, y'all. I just, just, just think it's amazing. I just think God wants us to know about this. I think he wants us to get in us and begin to be the thing that affects us instead of everything else that affects us. That's what I believe. He wants us to get in us like a virus that really eats away inside of us and won't leave us alone. That's probably a bad analogy, but I'm talking about a computer virus. You know how those things do? They get in there and take over... They called them worms. I think that was one of them where it would get into a computer system. The worm of God into your heart. You're going to worm him away into the crevices of your heart. You know, there's so many things in us that we don't know about us, aren't they? And, you know, I think many of the people in this room, you've, you've walked with the Lord a long time. You've had you know, healing or healing and all these things. Some of you even had deliverance from demons. If you haven't, you probably need it. Because <laughs> demons do influence us and attach themselves to us. Maybe not possess you, but they can get in your life and influence you. But there's still more. There's still more th about us that we don't know. That's, that God doesn't show us all at once because it would destroy us if we saw how terrible we are and how lacking we were. You know, thoughts from our pre-Christian life, fam generational things that come through our family, sicknesses, ways of thinking, ways of doing that just continue on in generation that God wants, wants to do away with. He wants to break it out. He wants to heal us of those things and set us free Lies that we believe, that we don't even know that we're believing, that we don't even think they're lies, and we don't even know that they're hidden in us. But the Lord can do this if we allow him. But he said this to the church of Philadelphia, which was one of the two churches that he did not have anything but good things to say about. Uh, the other one was this church of Smyrna, Smyrna, Myrna, the church that was under persecution that actually was a very powerful church, but it was a church. I think it's amazing about Smyrna that this church was being high-level persecuted, yet Jesus did not promise them deliverance from their persecution on this earth. But he did promise them an eternal reward. Now, that should tell us something. We get these ideas that God's going to do everything we ask him to do and claim this and claim that. Sometimes it just ain't going to happen. I'm sorry, but that's the Bible. 
You know, and we need to bow to what the scriptures say. Now, I'm not signing up for no Smyrna revelation. But I'm just telling you it's in there. I'm, I'm signing up for, like, into the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Right. These things says, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. So this is cool. You know, all the other churches, he pulled something out of chapter 1 of Revelation as his introduction. This one he did not pull. That is not in chapter 1. The key of David is not mentioned. This church, which was a very small, insignificant church that mattered not in the world's eyes, kind of what you would call the irrelevant church, not the cool church, not the fattest church, but the irrelevant church, the church that didn't matter, he gave them a very unique promise, the key of David. And he was going to open that no man could shut. And I believe if you really study the key of David, you'll find out the key of David, like David's name is mentioned like 1,100 times in the Bible. David is, shows up in many key places in the book of Acts, in the Gospels. In the book of Revelation, he's mentioned a few times. He, the key of David is this. He's the pattern. Here's how you know the Lord. That's the key. God has given us a pattern in the person of, of David to know the Lord. It's not a lot of... It, now, I've heard a lot of other teachings on it, and I think they were, were fine teachings, but the ultimate thing here is what he's saying. I'm going to give you the key to know me. Maya was speaking about that earlier. I'm going to give you the key to know me. You're going to be able to open up secrets that nobody else can open. You're going to be able to close demonic portals that nobody else can close. That's what he's saying. I'm going to give you this ability. Why? Because you know me, because you're close to me, and you can hear my heart. And I have a trust in you. So I have trust enough to tell you all my deep, dark secrets. You know, you tell your spouse a lot of things you won't tell anybody else. And they still love you. Isn't that beautiful? That's the beautiful thing about marriage. They can know you at your worst moment and still care deeply about you and love you. Well, that's how the Lord is. We can tell him our worst things. And he says, I still love you. I'm fine with you. You know, I just want you to recognize those bad things and get rid of them. Stop doing that stuff. You know? Anyways, I just think that's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Acts 13, 22, this is what the Lord said. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. That's, that's what God said about David in the book of Acts. Isn't that beautiful? So David is a pattern that God wants us to follow. And I think he really is a key to knowing the Lord Jesus on a, in a greater relational way. Isn't that amazing that that's right there in that one little little sentence in the Bible? But then, uh, are we okay, y'all? Are y'all mad? Okay, Revelation. And then, that was chapter 1 through 3. I, know I gave you six months of teaching right here in 33 30 minutes. And you can say, well, why didn't you, why is it taking you so long to do this? Why can't you do all the rest in 30 minutes? I wish I could do that. Then you shift, it shift gears to Revelation 4. Are y'all getting anything out of this? After these things, I look. After 
After these things, I looked. After all that Jesus, the Lord had showed him, all, after him being stunned at Jesus, I mean stunned at when Jesus appeared to him in chapter 1 and fell down like a dead man. He was, he was the ultimate slain in the spirit guy. I mean, this was the ultimate getting slain in the spirit. It wasn't nobody pushing. You know, it wasn't a, a courtesy fall. I mean, it was none of that stuff. It was he looked at Jesus and his life went out of him at that moment and fell like he was dead. Because he saw this person, this person, y'all, that he had put his head on his chest at the Last Supper and heard the literal heartbeat of God. And here he is falling before him like a dead man because of the glory that was coming from Christ. After all these messages to the churches, after these things, I looked and there was a door open in heaven. I would have thought, my gosh, if I could get just a little bit of that revelation of chapter 1, that I could get to, I'm 90 years old. That would carry me for the next, you know, 20 years, 20-something years, 23 years or whatever it is. I'm not that old. Seriously, y'all. That's a lifetime of revelation in chapter 1 through 3. A lifetime of revelation. We'll never, we will never mind that far enough. Dig out of that what God has in there. But after all of that, the Lord says, oh, by the way, there's more. After all you've gone through, the Lord says, oh, by the way, you thought you had me understood? You thought you had all this worked out in your life, didn't you? You thought you understood. You've been a part of revivals. You've done this. You've studied this. You've talked to this person, this set under this teacher, and you thought you had it all? Guess what? That's what he was saying. John, there's so much more to me. There's so much more I've got for you. Don't get stuck somewhere. Just come on up here. And so he goes up to heaven and it says, In the first voice which I heard, which our voice, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. So now this is where the, the book begins to shift. Okay? It begins to shift from the earth, right? From what was happening in John's time. 60-something years after Christ, speaking to those churches, their particular situation, those situations. And then he says, now, now we're going to look at some things that are 60 years after the resurrection. We're going to start talking about those things forward. That's what he's saying. That's the beginning of it. And so he moves up into the heaven. John goes to heaven. He's no longer on earth. I'm not going to finish this message, doggone y'all. <laughs> He's no longer on earth. He's not looking at life the way all earthlings look at it. Even born again, powerful earthlings like some of y'all. I was, I was going to say me, but I decided better not. John was a very powerful Christian person, right? One of the most powerful that ever walked the earth. But suddenly his whole perspective had to shift. 
because he was no longer walking down here under this toxic world, under the pressures of life, under his old carnal thinking that's still there, that he's still trying to work through and overcome, trying to overcome those thoughts that the devil's constantly throwing at him. Suddenly, none of that is happening in his life. Could you imagine that? All that was gone. Atmosphere. You think about the most powerful moment of presence of the Lord you ever experienced. He was experiencing it infinitely more. And there he is standing in heaven. And now he's looking at going to have to learn how to see things differently. He's suddenly he's going to get to see the way God sees. He's going to get to hear what God hears. He's going to see God. He's going to see God the Father sitting on the throne. He's going to look into the face of God and see it. God's going to, it allows him to hear to do that. He's going to see these creatures around the throne. And he's going to see these elders with their... See, he's seeing all this. He's experiencing all this. And it was necessary for him to, to have that experience so he could adequately convey what was going to happen on the earth. But, but before he could talk about what was going to happen on the earth, the tribulation... Y'all can go to Scott Forsythe. He can talk about those things. That's his bag. Which, by the way, he does an excellent job of talking about that. He really does. He's amazing, really. I wouldn't try to, I wouldn't try to run that race with Scott. I was just like, y'all go on now. Y'all run. You know, but really good. Uh, if, you, if you haven't been able to come, you can watch him on YouTube. You can go to our thing. He's got them all on there. Really beautiful. Yeah, River Life Media stuff, you know, but... That's just a plug for good old Scott. Yeah. He's a, a really a great man. And he has a particular view on what he believes that means. And he will admit there's different other views, right? He'll admit that, but I think his view's pretty good myself. Um, anyways, I got kind of distracted there, Scott. It's your fault. <laughs> so, but let me just say this. Here's what we have to do. I just want to say this. God wants us, every generation of Christians, need to see what John saw. That needs to, be, it needs to become a reality for us. We need to be renewed in what's happening in heaven. We really do. We need God to reveal that kind of thing to us. Reveal the majesty of God. and Reveal that there's things happening. That heaven is a very real place. And there's very real things happening there. Every generation needs that. Least every generation lives on this earth. And thinks about the things of God. Thinks about the Bible. Thinks about the church. Thinks about the Holy Spirit. Strictly from this perspective down here. And that's why we have such crazy stuff going on in the world today, in the church world. Crazy, toxic, prophetic words. Because they're all coming from the earth. They're not coming from heaven. People, people did what they call deconstructing their faith. Well, some of that might be a good thing to get rid of some stupid stuff you're believing. But why would a person destroy their faith and to begin to just say something about the blood of Jesus and not believe that there's a resurrection? Because of their bad experiences with other Christians that are struggling. Why? Because we are living from here and we're getting our information from here. And see, we can't do that. We're going to miss God. We need to get our information from heaven. And John was there suddenly getting information from heaven 
And we all can get information from heaven on earth. That's what the spirit of wisdom and revelation will give you. It's really the truth. Are y'all right? So that revelation, this is what it did for him. And this is what it can do for us. It reminds us who is central. Who's worthy. That's what that. It's only that. It just says Christ is central. Christ is worthy. Christ is everything. That's what this revelation, if you do, I could do, we'll read on. If we read on and get into chapter 5, that's what it tells us. And here's what the beautiful thing is about Jesus Christ. This is what's amazing about him in terms of the Trinity. Because, you know, I'm a big Trinity guy. Are y'all Trinity people? I'm, a, I'm big into the Trinity thing. I used to sit around and think, well, okay, you know, we got Jesus, we got the Holy Spirit, and we got the Father. And sometimes it seems like God is emphasizing the Holy Spirit. So what do you emphasize? The Holy Spirit. But I've been in those times, or he's emphasizing the Father. So what do we emphasize? The Father. But then sometimes he emphasizes Jesus. But here's the cool thing about Jesus. If you, put, if you make Christ central, guess what you've done? You have, this is what Jesus said. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In fact, he's, this is what he was saying. You'll never know the Father apart from me. You will never know the Father apart from me. Then he, you know what he said about the Holy Spirit a couple of times. John, he said that in John 14, by the way. Another John 14, John 16. Hey, I'm going to send you another comforter like me. In other words, he was saying the Holy Spirit's just like me. He's another version of me. And so, that's, are y'all getting this? The beauty of, of making Christ a central person in your life is you get the Father and you get, this, you get the Holy Spirit with Him. Now, I really believe that's what the Bible teaches. I believe it teaches us that, y'all. And I think that's what's really important. I was going to tell you, uh, heaven's mentioned, I think, 530-something times in the Bible. That's pretty important. Well, I'm going to have to stop here, I guess. I was going to go to chapter 5. Uh, well, let me just read this one verse out of chapter 5. Uh, verse 4. Because I love this, y'all. I'm just kind of jumping in the middle of chapter 5. Because, you know, chapter 4 and 5 are really not two separate scenes. They're the same, right? It's just continuing. So don't think the chapters make a bit of difference in the world uh, to the Word. But So John's up there in heaven. There's this thing in called a scroll in the Father's hand. This strong angel says, Hey, who's worthy to open the scroll? See, everything's shifting all of a sudden. After going through and seeing God, seeing the four living creatures, all the worship that was going on, all the power that was going on, suddenly everything changes. All of a sudden, hey, we're, guess what? We're doing something else now. That's kind of how heaven works. There's another activity. We got this scroll deal that we want to talk about. And so... And then this, and John, it says it. That's the main, that's one of the main points in chapter five. There's a scroll in God's hand. It points out, y'all, y'all need to pay attention. There's something in God the Father's hand. 
And so this didn't, it didn't, it says this strong angel. It didn't say a weak angel, just a strong angel. So that means something, right? He pointed it out. It wasn't like, okay, this is a regular angel. No, this angel was bad to the bones. Who's worthy to open the seal? And it says they looked everywhere in heaven, everywhere in earth, and even under the earth. In fact, they looked everywhere there was anywhere. There was nowhere else to look. And they said, we couldn't find nobody. Now, you know that was a rhetorical thing, right? Rhetorical means question asked for, to, to highlight, to emphasize. That's what it really was. It wasn't like, we can't find nobody open this scroll. We're in trouble up here in heaven. But John, this is it. John, it says this. John, in verse 4. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. That's what a, a, bad, a bad translation there. Wept much. Here's a good translation. I'll give you my translation. When I was a little boy, I got in trouble a lot. And I got whippings. And my mama was not a human being you'd mess with. I'll just put it to you like this. You, there was a line that once you crossed that line, it was over with. They were severe whippings. And so I can remember her wearing me out, badly wearing me out, and putting me to bed. And I would be, <gasps> you ever cried like that? What we call convulsing crying? Where your whole body is convulsing? Is that the right word? Convulsing? Huh? Yeah, convulting, something like that. Well, you know, it went like this. <laughs> you know? And I can remember laying in my bed doing that. She was saying, you're going to sleep and walking out of the room. That's in the middle of the day because I, I had been beaten so bad by my mom. She didn't abuse me. Listen, I didn't get half the women as I should have got. If they knew half the things I did, they would have probably thrown me out of the house. I would have felt like it if my kids were like me. But anyways... That's what that word means there. It means convulsing, weeping. That's how broken and hurt John was at nobody. Because John somehow knew those scrolls were the secret. Those scrolls were the thing that were going to fix everything. They, all the sorrow, all the brokenness, all that humanity had suffered, all that the devil had kept doing and taking advantage of people, he knew. And that's why he was having this wild emotional response because at that moment he didn't know he it was like everything christ did like he did all that and we're not going to finish it he it was a halfway job and that's why he was just absolutely broken see we can re relate to that i think i think we can all relate to living in a world that's broken we all can relate to experiencing loss and hurt right that's, we, we, can, we feel that. We feel the pain that he felt because when we have those moments of tragedy or extreme hurt in our life, we feel, we feel this brokenness. And like, where's God? Why is there not a God here? Where is he? Do you know what I'm talking about? Don't act like you don't because if you ever, you ever get in that, that's what you'll feel. You might not say it. Well, I've said it, but I don't want to say bad stuff, but. Anyways, he, that was what was happening with him. 
Because let me just say this, a heaven without Christ is not heaven. That's the truth. Heaven is not heaven without this person of Christ. That's what Revelation is really trying to show us. There is no answer for the world without him. Even with God the Father sitting on the throne. Even with the seven spirits of God burning before the throne, heaven is still declaring there's no heaven without this person of Christ. Your life is incomplete. It says that Christ was standing in the midst of the throne. Meaning he is in the middle of everything. He's the central point of our lives. That's what Revelation is trying to get to us because you'll never be able to get all this other stuff if you don't get him and how who he is and the role he plays. I think this is beautiful. I think this is amazing. I want that to be a part of my life. I want Christ to be the center of me. That's what I want. I want him. I don't want to come to church and go through the motions. I want to come to church and worship him and honor him. But I want to do it at home in my bed. I want to do it how I treat people. I want Christ to have preeminence. And that's why I say this grips me. And I'm not there. I wish I was. You can ask Becky. (laughs) Well, I ain't very Christ-like, son. It says in verse 5, uh, one of the elders said to me, stop your convulsing. Stop, you know, you're going to sleep. Shut up. <laughs> Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed. The root of David has prevailed. He's prevailed. He's prevailed. Christ has prevailed. Christ is everything. He's prevailed and he, can, has, he has this scroll. He can open this scroll. This scroll is fascinating, by the way. But that's for another time. I wanted to read something to end. Don't, don't you love that? In closing, I promise you this is the end. I wanted to read this. Has anybody ever heard of F.B. Meyer? Yeah, well, F.B. was something, buddy. He was a Baptist preacher from England. He was a friend of D.L. Moody. Who was D.L. Moody opened the door for F.B. to come to America to minister. And F.B., his name was Frederick, by the way. That's a great name. That's what F stands for. I can't remember his middle name. And, and F.B. opened the door for Moody to go to England. This guy, F.B. Meyer, I think he wrote somewhere around 40 books. Don't let it, don't be fooled just because he was a Baptist. He didn't carry something amazing. He carried revelation. I mean, major revelation. And it was beautiful. But this is something he said. I'm going to end with this little paragraph. That I just love this. I just read this, and it just so touched my heart. And I think it's a good answer for us in the world we live in today. He says, as the seals are open, certain phenomena occur, which in part reveal the mysteries hidden in the scroll. But it's all in the hand of the Lamb of God. Isn't that beautiful? It's all in the hand of the Lamb of God. See, so that's what we do when we begin to read chapter 6, 7, 8, all this crazy stuff. It's all in the hand of the Lamb of God. Then he goes on and said, He alone knows the contents. He alone presides over their development. He alone. Not the devil. Not the Antichrist. Christ alone. Christ alone. See, if the church don't believe that, then what's the church going to do? We're just going to get sucked down the tube. Listen to this. 
We must not weep because the future is unknown. We must not weep. Jesus we know and he is on the throne. Jesus we know and he is on the throne. <laughs> That's just amazing to me. He's on the throne. And no matter what our future, our personal future looks like, Christ is on the throne. We don't have to weep over it. We don't have to be afraid of it. We just remember he's on the throne and he presides. He has it all in his hands. We must trust our own future to Christ without fear or tears of, of foreboding. We must trust our own, we're talking personal now, our own future to Christ without fear or tears or of foreboding. Uh, you know, foreboding is, you know, depression is bad, it's heavy, oh Lord, you know. The Lamb who shed his blood to redeem may be trusted to order and perfect that which concerns us. Isn't that beautiful? The Lamb can be trusted to order and perfect that which concerns us. And that's really what we're, as believers, that's what faith is all about. That's what trust is all about, is to know this person on the throne and know that he can be trusted and that he has his hand on us. Despite the fact that we live in an age where there's portals of hell that's been opened up in the earth that have some of the worst darkness ever. In spite of that, or despite of that, Christ is on the throne. And those portals of hell cannot get us if we will stay, and like Maya mentioned earlier, abiding in him, trusting in him. That's the key. That's the key to your future. That's the key to your children's, your grandchildren's future. He's the key. And I'll tell you, that's what the book of Revelation wants us to know before it wants, before, before he talks about any Antichrist come trotting in there in chapter 6 on his white horse, you know, the four horsemen. Before any of those guys trot in here, famine, earthquakes, war, the Antichrist. Yeah. Right, Scott? The four horsemen of Notre Dame. I used to think that white horse was Jesus, the first one. Then one day I thought, well, that can't be Jesus. He would never do that. That's the Antichrist. There really is an Antichrist. He trots in first, and then all this bad stuff follows him. Death, war, famine. But you see, Jesus wanted us to know, I'm in control. I'm on the throne. And I think we need to learn that. If we're in a time where we're being foreshadowed, Foreshadowed. I didn't say we're in it. I'm just saying we're being foreshadowed by end time events. Well, it ain't going to be good. Then Christ is our answer. And let's learn it today. We may, we may not be the ones that are walking through some terrible things, but our babies could be. Wouldn't you like to be able to impart to your baby something? That, mm -hmm, okay. <laughs> Lord help. Come on, Maya. I want to pray for you. And then Maya will close us up. Okay? Can you stand up? Are y'all good? Well, thank you, Lord. There's a lot of good prophetic stuff out there. Uh, there's a lot of bad prophetic stuff. I'm going to tell you that right now. I think the prophetic has got some black eyes over the last couple years. But I do not deny that there is some genuine prophetic out there. Genuine that's real. Okay? And I believe there's people in this room that carry prophetic mantles on your life. And this kind of mess that's going on, don't let it stop you. 
Do not let it stop you from letting the word of the Lord rise in you. You need to let that word rise. You need to stir up that prophetic gift in you and begin to release it. And you're like, well, my little word's nothing but to talk to somebody. Well, do that. And the more you do that, the bigger it'll get, and you never know where it might go. And I just feel that real strong in my heart about the prophetic. And I'm disappointed with the prophetic, the way the things are. Some of the prophetic words like, oh, my gosh. Just disappointing. It's so, let's get, let's get Jesus back into it. Let's get heaven back into our prophetic. You know, and then there's going to be some power on it. Then there's going to be some authority on it. Instead of just faint hope, faint political hope, or like God's going to do this or do that to the devil. I'm like, mm, he's not going to do that. Okay, well, it's just my pet peeve. I'm going to pray. Lord, we just ask you for a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what we're asking you for today is a greater revelation of Christ. And Lord, we just acknowledge to you today. I want you to agree. If you agree with me, I want you to just uh, do whatever. But acknowledge, Lord, that we don't really know you. Like we can know you. There's more to you, Lord. And Lord, I want to submit my beliefs and my doctrines and my experience at your feet, Lord. Because I want the more of God. I want you to come and reveal. I want you to shock me. I want you to do with, like, with John like you, well, like you did with John with me. I want to see a Jesus that I've really never known. And I just ask you to do that. And I ask you to release that to the people in this room. A passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. That Christ would be our central. He would be number one. And all else would be down the list. And Lord, I ask you to make that so real in our hearts. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen and amen. I just wanted to share something real quick about what Byron was saying. The importance of Jesus in the center, but the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I really don't know much Hebrew. Franklin Linker here knows Hebrew. I just know a little bit. But one thing I know that's so interesting is that when you sing, when you say the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, He is one. It's Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. And Echad is the word used for one. And Echad means Trinity, three in one. Did you know that? I was flying to Israel one day, and I got to sit next to a Hebrew professor, one who's taught Hebrew. So that whole flight, I was just eating it up. And the most interesting thing he said to me was this. He said, when you add rim to any word, it makes it plural. So chave is friend. Chaverim is friends. Do you know one of the names for God is Elohim? A plural one God. And then he turns to me and he says, and why is that? And I'm waiting, and he goes, we don't know. <laughs> well, if you would like prayer for healing, we didn't get to do that today during the transition. If you'd like prayer for maybe activation and the prophetic, I invite the ministry team to come forward. If there's anything that you're going through, you just need somebody to pray for you, to encourage you. We have some amazing people that would love to to be here for you. So be blessed. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy the sunshine and uh, have a great week.